Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Paramount Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. It's good to have you all here again. And uh, this week, we have a returning guest. Uh, this will be a returning guest for long-time listeners, um, because uh, last time they were on the show was in 2020, which, believe it or not, is over three years ago now. Like So uh, by the time this goes out, it'll probably be like three and a half, four years. So um, welcome back to the podcast, Shari A. Smith. Thank you. So glad to be back. It's hard to believe that it's it's been three years. I know. I know. I, I know. We, we follow each other on Twitter, so we interact a lot anyway. Yeah. But it just, yeah, like, I think, I think we were just saying before we started recording how time passes so strangely now. It's like since the pandemic, time's yeah. just gone all strange. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no making sense of it. No, no. Like, because it can seem like that was... Like, like five, ten years ago, but also it seems like five minutes ago. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but um, yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad to be back. I feel like last time we had such a great conversation. I think it was like an hour long, but it felt like it was five minutes, right? So yep, remember, that's, that's yeah, always the mark of a, a of a great conversation. Absolutely, yeah. And you're now doing, you've got a podcast of your own now. I do. It's called Survivors Discuss. And we it's it's actually three of us. It's uh, Kate West, Claire Heath McIver, who also goes by Kit Kennedy. And we try to give a voice to survivors of trauma, specifically religious trauma. Mm. So we do a lot of conversation about what it's like to grow up in purity culture, for instance, or um, we have a, an episode about to drop about what it's like to be a person, a, a BIPOC person in an evangelical setting um, and how that sort of being in that sort of white supremacist culture can create a lot of trauma for a lot of people. So I think that's going to be a very powerful one. Yeah. And that's just that's such an important podcast, you know, things like giving voices to survivors and letting them tell their story. I mean, like, I've, I've let people, a lot of people tell their story on this show and I know how powerful it's been for them, you know, the feedback I've got afterwards. Because uh, some, some of them have been sharing their story for the first time. Yeah. Um, in fact, some of them I didn't know it was the first time they were sharing their story. Mm. Um, like, um, and that's probably a good thing, actually, because if you, if you know it's the first time, there's, a, there's an extra weight. But, um, yeah. but it must be, yeah, I mean, for them, it must be powerful for them as well as for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, we've only done a few episodes so far, but just being able to witness people owning their voice, owning their stories and saying, hey, this happened. I survived this like that. That feels like such a privilege to be invited into that. Um, and it's not something I take lightly. I think I know I've survived a lot of trauma and abuse and I know what it costs to be able to tell your own story, and that is not easy. So, if anybody has the courage to do that, I am just their biggest fan. Mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. And it is. I feel the same when I when I have people share their stories on here. It's it's a it's a privilege to be able to sit with people as they as they do that and bear mm -hmm. witness to that. You know, and, yeah. Um, because it is so. It takes so much courage um 
when you've been through what lots of people have been through. Um, yeah, you know. and for many of them, telling their story, that's also that means that they also lose their community too. Like once you start to own your truth, there's a lot of people that will not be okay with that. So it's there's just all of these levels of cost to being open and honest with your story. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And that, that's a, yeah, that's what makes it such a courageous act. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I mean, I've experienced that to a certain extent myself. You know, I mean, I, I talk about my story a lot on social media and on my podcast. Um, you know, and I've, I've, I've lost friends and it's, yeah. It's hard, you know, um, especially because at the time I was single, you know, and then not to not to have community suddenly. Yeah, it's it's hard, you know. And oh, then... for sure. And you know, we're we're social creatures. We need our social safety nets. We need people to sit with us and say, "What you've experienced is real," um, and the feelings that you feel as a result of this, they are valid. Like everybody needs that, and so I'm I'm sorry that you've been in that place where you just did not get what you needed. Yeah, I'm I'm fortunate in that I've found healthy community. Well, that's great. Um, elsewhere, like I'm part of this online mighty networks community, which is kind of we've we've created together the people that are there, um, and it's got a little bit smaller, but it, but for good reasons, you know. Some yeah. people got what they needed from it and found other community in person. Yeah. And um, there's some of us that are still there. And, and it's so healthy because there's no there's no leadership structure, as it were. There's no yeah. hierarchy. It's just we co-create it. There is structure. There is Obviously, there are facilitators and things like that. And there are boundaries and things that we all have to adhere to. But, like, there's no hierarchy at all. It's not. There's no power structure. Oh, that's great. It's um, it's it's I've, not, I've never seen anything like it, and um, it's such a safe space for for me and for the other people that are there as well. And oh, that's great. We make that together, so it's um, yeah. Sounds kind well, of revolutionary. Yeah, and it started around September, around the time we talked, actually September oh, 2020. That nice. was that was when it kind of started, and uh, yeah, and it's just evolved and it's really organically changed and we did a, we did an in-person meetup as well once um kind of the worst of the pandemic was over um and we were you know it wasn't there wasn't any mask mandates anymore we were we, obviously we all had to we all got we all got made sure we were vaccinated and we masked up when we you know in certain with certain boundaries but so it was safe but um we've had a we've been able to meet up um last year which was um amazing yeah oh that's great i love yeah. that yeah so and that's yeah and it's and there's more of those kind of communities springing up i think yeah like and i think like part of deconstruction is deconstructing how we do community as well like and changing how we do community um, absolutely i think a lot of us um we came out of particularly religious institutions where we were kind of given a model for how community is supposed to go. Like you had your small groups, you had the person leading the small groups, you had the people above the person leading the small groups. Like it just kind of 
keeps going up and up until you know you're you have the ultimate authority and that that creates so many issues um and i i mean i i suppose that there are ways that you could have a structure like that in which it is healthy but i think in a lot of cases it just creates a lot of you must conform to our group expectations um and if you don't then you're out and that can be really like if you're you're the the, the receiver of this message like that is painful right and so you, you you're not going to want to be kicked out so you're just going to keep bending yourself to conform to what they want um and yeah it, it's it's often not a healthy thing absolutely absolutely yeah i mean I've, yeah i've seen it firsthand the the that the the harm that toxic community structures can can do and like one of the things that i've one of the things i learned by studying spiral dynamics which is you know like the healthy structure the stru- healthy structure is like the blue phase but what i realized through studying that was that what happened is that the structure became the thing rather than the values rather than being a place of safety and love and compassion and kindness and trying to live out those values it became let's it came and building a structure to support those values rather than it became let we need to protect the structure not the values um why and that's an that's an easy mistake to fall into I've, i've got to say to be honest um you can start with the best of intentions and end up you know end up worshiping the structure rather than the you know the the values and that's what happened kind of with the evangelical church you know maybe it started with good intentions you know but and it ended up becoming you know the 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 kind of the structure became the became the the idol like in a way yeah for sure um and i think in a lot of cases i do know that there are healthy evangelical churches i've seen them i've experienced them um but I think as an overall institution, I think there there is a huge issue of conflating God with the subculture of evangelicalism. So if if you have a doctrinal disagreement with the subculture, like let's let's say um, saving sex for marriage is a pretty foundational belief of evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. But if you say well, actually, the Bible doesn't talk about this, except for only women are expected to do that, not men. Then suddenly you're going against the culture, and by going against the culture, you are being labeled as rebellious against God. Mm. Um, so we have a lot of that going on, which creates yeah. very unhealthy dynamics between church leaders and congregants. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And that's what can lead to, you know, these kind of controlling environments. Yeah. Um, controlled by white males, generally. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, uh, and we've seen a lot of the stories that have come out, you know. Yeah. Which is really, really sad. It upsets me every time I see one of the stories. Um, I can't read all of them because it's too traumatic to, to read oh, all it's, it's devastating. Um, I, I just finished reading a book a few months ago. Um, I think it was called The Bible Told Them So, and it was about how evangelicalism, when segregation became outlawed, 
evangelicals started looking to the Bible to pull out justifications for why black people and white people needed to be in separate churches because the black people are obviously a different subset of human from the white people and the Bible is telling us this, right? So like there's a very dominant white supremacist culture within evangelicalism. And I think a lot of uh, well-intentioned evangelicals just aren't aware of this and they are not aware of how they are perpetuating these these issues as well. Mm, absolutely, yeah. I mean that that's true. I think one of the things that I've learned is there are well there are well meaning people on all sides, as yeah. it were. Like um, I don't like using the word sides really, but there are there are well meaning evangelical Christians. There are well meaning um, people on all sides, but all sides can cause harm as well if you're not careful and. Uh, you know that's a that's a difficult. I mean, that's that's the nuance, isn't it? We yeah. talked, like privately, we talked about how nuance is important, and um, that's the thing that that to me that's a when I when I can see somebody understands nuance, then I they're they be, they, be, they become a really safe person for me because mm-hmm. of, because when someone understands that, then you can have a healthy conversation with them, yeah, um, and you can have healthy accountability with them because they understand what you're talking about, and you know they know that you're not. You know, you're not going to shame them or judge them if you if you kind of hold them accountable. Like, I mean, I've got friends who've held me accountable, but they've done it in a way which is completely loving and actually and has actually strengthened our friendship rather than the other way around. That's great. I mean, that's what you want, right? Like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. The the black and white thinking, where it's either all yes or all no. Um, you can't have conversation in that situation because if you're not on the right side, you are anathema essentially. Um, And if you start to see people as us versus them, you can only see the other side as your enemy. How are you ever going to bridge that gap? Yeah, that's right. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I've always said that it's yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like I don't want to say in the olden days, but um, certainly, like post-war until probably the nineties, in politics there was a lot of um, cooperation on all sides. There was this kind of consensus, even if they disagreed on on specific things, they would also work, be willing to work together because they both wanted to achieve a common goal, in a sense. Uh, and they would find ways to work together, and they would not be beholden to their tribe as it were um i don't use that word tribe um to their to their their community their collective yeah collective yeah i forget i would forget i use that word um that's not appropriate but um so yeah to their to their to their collective and that's kind of gone now you know it's become very kind of divisive and like people are very like staying in their place and yeah not moving and not compromising and um and that is that's one of the things that's wrong with the world right now yeah. um but because i think that i i'm going off on a bit of a tangent here but i think that the reason that people were so willing to work together was because a lot of those people have been had lived through the war mm-hmm. or were born straight after the war and so yeah. there was a this kind of like understanding of like we we can't allow this to happen again 
you know, this is, we can't allow this much death, this much suffering, this much division and hatred to happen again. And we need to, we need to be able to work together for the good of humankind. Yeah. And, uh, and they understood that because they'd experienced it. And we've kind of lost that. I think, um, I can't remember what policy, who said it. I think, I can't remember who said it. I think it was on a politics podcast or something, but like that, that generation, I think it was John Major, actually, um, who was a former British Prime Minister, um, who was very much a consensus person, like, you know, kind of brought people together. But he said there's a whole generation of people that had died, that also had left politics at the end in the 90s, and the generation after them had not experienced yeah. um, the Second World War. And so they had a different approach. And... And he said that there was, there's been a notable change in politics since then, and he's right. You know, it's, it's, yeah. And in culture generally, you know, I think there's a, you know, we're getting on to what we're getting on to 80, 80 years since, since the first since the Second World War ended. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and we always say that we should. <laughs> I think that the biggest lesson is that humans don't learn from their mistakes unfortunately <laughs> well yeah and then i think the other issue is like I, I mean the old saying is if you don't know your history you will be doomed to repeat it and i think we're we're kind of seeing that a little bit right now um where i mean let's let's say like the 9-11 you and i experienced that firsthand absolutely but there's a lot of kids even adults now that they didn't experience that they don't know what that's like um and so i think that can lead to a lot of assumptions about how the world works because um i'm not sure where i'm going with this um do you see what i'm saying i do i do yeah. i absolutely do yeah people i mean like yeah if you're born in 2000 you'd be 23 yeah you're an adult yeah so you know and you won't remember 9-11 uh, I watched it on TV. I, I saw the whole thing start to finish. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much that traumatized me at the time. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I didn't realize at all. But um, but I had to, eventually I had to do some therapy around it because it was yeah. like, oh, that actually had an effect on me. <laughs> it was a traumatic thing. Even like you and I are not Americans, but we still saw the footage. We still had the sense of safety taken away from us like if this can happen in the u.s it can happen anywhere right and so, so like i certainly experienced that as traumatic as well um i like mean there we, are... we were attacked we were attacked in london seven years later that's true I, yeah and i was well i was actually in london the day that it happened you know oh, wow. I, I was in because i worked in central london oh Luckily, wow i didn't get the tube to work i got the train to work and you know, I don't think there was any chance I would have I would have been on the on the tube that got blown up. But like, you know, um, but that was really close to home. Like, that was where I, that was where I, in the city I worked in. You know, um, and so yeah, you kind of feel it. You know, and it's uh, yeah, these things affect you. They they affect how you see things, and they they give you more patience and understanding. You know, for yeah. things I think and. Yeah, well, where did we get? Where did we come here from? Is, I have no idea. I love it. I love it. I love, it. I love conversations, like because you just and you, without any kind of like formal agenda, because you just can just yeah. you can just explore and see where things go. That's yeah, I love it. We can go down all the little rabbit holes. 
Yeah, and this started with <laughs> your podcast and people sharing their stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so just gravitating back to that, how how has doing that podcast and hearing those stories on a kind of regular basis affected you? Um, well, like I say, we, we've only done a few episodes. Um, we've done five now. But I feel like every time we do an interview, so so the way it's set up is we have a panel discussion for each topic. Um, so we'll have we'll bring in two or three guests, um, and so you can hear differing perspectives even within one conversation, which is amazing. Um, one of the episodes we released was about purity culture and trauma that we carry in our bodies. And we had Tara Tang, who is a somatics worker, uh, who specializes in purity culture. And we had Rebecca Lindenbach, who is um, Sheila Gregoire's daughter and works on fair marriage. Um, so she has all of the statistics and the studies. And so it was a really interesting conversation to kind of, all of us were sharing our experiences with, with purity culture and how that impacted our bodies, our lives, our mental health. Um, but then you could have Tara talking about how to move trauma through your body. And then Rebecca would jump in and say, here's what the studies show us about what, how this culture has impacted not just men and not just women, but men and kids too. Um, so it's, I feel like I learn so, so much with each episode. Like I go into the episode with my own experiences, my own studies, but then they always bring something new that just kind of blows my mind. It's it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, and that's good to like to hold space for those kind of conversations between mm -hmm. different people with different perspectives is a real yeah. special thing. Yeah. And it's something we don't we don't do enough of, I think. It's again, it's kind of that nuancey thing, like where you're kind of willing to just listen and engage and learn from each other and understand, at least understand each other, even if you have different perspectives and different backgrounds. Yeah. Well, maybe you can learn from each other. And, yeah, that's what we need more of. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, even so, the next episode that's about to drop, um, we have Latoya Thompson, Naomi Gonzalez, and Scott Akamato. Okamoto, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and, you know, they haven't necessarily, I think Scott has done a lot of research, um, Latoya as well. Um, but really the conversation is, is mostly just about, this is what I've experienced, speaking for them, <laughs> this is what they've each individually experienced as people of color and how that's impacted their faith and their lives and as a white woman to just sit in the room and listen to them share their stories. It's just, I knew going into it that white supremacy is, is kind of baked into evangelicalism, but to hear them share their stories and to sit with them as they're sharing their stories, it just, it brings a whole new level of, you know, Oh my God, this, this culture is just so toxic. And, um, it, maybe we can change it, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of white people really need to wake up really fast for it to work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that is, yeah. 
And we see that a lot. I see that a lot more on social media now than I used to. I think, you know, Twitter with a certain person buying it and changing it has, and people leaving as well, lots of people leaving, has left more space for those kind of voices to perpetuate and, you know, and more freedom for them to do what, to do whatever they want to do and not face consequences, which is awful. Um, You know, but I've, I've seen some things on, on there from, you know, from kind of white supremacists or like hardline evangelicals. Like, it's just like people actually believe this stuff. Like yeah. I was, you know, um, and it's scary. I just like, yeah. Like, maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I suppose I'm an idealist, but it, like, it just baffles me as how people can ever be convinced that that is, that, that that's even remotely compassionate or kind or just. Like, I, I just, yeah, uh, I'm always kind of, yeah, but I'm baffled. I'm I'm baffled, but also I get it. I get how you know when you're when you're white because um, I'm white um, that you know when people play to your ego and make you out like you're the best, and that's a very comforting thought, isn't it? Like it can mm-hmm. be it's very tempting. It's very seductive. Yeah, uh, and if you're an insecure person anyway. Um. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of, and that goes back to the whole not processing grief and trauma. Like you know, yes. you haven't you haven't dealt with your insecurities. You haven't dealt with yeah. what the, the trauma you went through. You haven't been processed the grief that you've got you're carrying. Like yeah, and if you did all of those things, and you had a better connection to yourself, you wouldn't need to justify yourself with some yeah. with with white supremacist philosophy. Like, um, well, and it's. It's interesting because, um, so we used to talk about this a lot when I wrote for Azer Rising a few years ago. And one of the most common things that we would see is when we would try to bring up, um, hey, white people, let's, let's deal with our, our blindness in this area. Let's, um, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. We, we have not approached the topic of race or racial, justice in appropriately um we have a lot of unlearning that we need to do in ourselves and we would get a ton of people pushing back on that just um angry that they're being asked to do this work um or angry at the insinuation that they could have any racist bone in their bodies and i think a lot of it comes down to in, in evangelicalism, if you say that you have done something wrong, it means that you have sinned. And if you're a sinner, you are just completely broken inside. So when you're calling out someone for the white supremacy, you are basically saying they are the, the worst of the worst. They deserve to burn in hell. So I think there's a lot of um, resilience or a lack of resilience there. Um mm being asked to reckon with with this thing that if you live in if you're living in the US uh, Canada probably Britain as well the system is set up for white people um, yeah. and that's something that we just we have to acknowledge that it doesn't mean that you know you or I or scum who deserves to burn in hell it just means 
we got to acknowledge that there's a problem here and what can we do to stop perpetuating that in our own lives, our families, our communities, our churches, everything. Exactly. Right. That's, that's absolutely right. And yeah. Um, yeah. You have to recognize as a white person that, that we are living systems that are created by white people to benefit white people. And that is, you know, kind of institutional racism. That is yeah. uh, systemic racism. That's what it is. And, um, and you know, you know, so many people still don't understand this, and it's like you know, um, you know, we need we, we need to be teaching that in schools. We need to be teaching yeah. that in schools yeah. from a young age, like, and that's the only way you to me. That's the only way you can really change a culture. Anyway, is you have to educate people from from youth to understand yeah. all these things because then yeah. they become adults, they'll understand them intuitively, and then. If everyone understands them intuitively, then the culture will change and, the, and you know, things will change. That's the only way you – but that takes decades to do because you've got to wait for these people to grow up. <laughs> well, and in the U.S. too, we have entire states that are just banning books or banning classes in elementary schools to teach about – you know, slavery or um, mm. like, why do we need the civil rights laws? Like there is, there's an active movement to push against trying to address white supremacy within the culture at large. Um, and it's ridiculous. It's disgusting. Um, but I think that's another area too, where like, we have to, as white people, we have to acknowledge that this is a problem and we can't just sit by and just let it be. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I read something today which really troubled me. Uh, I'm just trying to find it. That they, about, um, I'm trying to find it now. Like It's just, ah, yeah, the city in Tennessee has banned being gay in public. Oh, um, I hadn't heard that one. Uh, that kind of broke today, and the, the day that we we're recording, and it's um, and it's and the law is also the the, the the law that's being used to do that is also being used to to ban books, and it's like this is twenty twenty three, in yeah in, in America, like it's ridiculous. Like what is going on? Um, you know and. You know, it's just uh, it's just terrifying. You're going back to the dark ages, or yeah, you know, and it's just like you know, this is 2023. Yeah, um, how can we be? How can we be doing this to human beings and human bodies in 2023? It's, it, yeah, um, it's it's absolutely disgusting, and I can't even like, I mean, I'm a straight white woman, but I cannot imagine being a place in a situation where I have to deny some aspect of my humanity because the law says that there's something wrong with me. Like, um, I don't know if it's okay to swear in here, but that is fucked up. <laughs> oh, it's okay to swear here. Okay. <laughs> um, That's the yeah. only term I can think of to describe that sort of law. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely, yeah. I, I, I agree completely. And I, yeah, it makes me angry. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I, I can't do anything about it, which makes me angry as well. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of people who feel powerless about um, some things that are going on in the like in their own countries and in other countries, um, and 
powerlessness can lead to, you know, if you're, if you're not in a healthy place, powerlessness can lead to, you know, doing things that you regret uh, and causing harm. Again, it's about being healthy emotionally and like having a place to process that powerlessness. Like, um, I'm very fortunate that I have a good therapist and I can, you know, I see them every two weeks and I talk to them about, that's one of the things, if I'm feeling powerless about something, I talk to them about it. And just talking about it is helpful, you know, because you, then you don't take that out on somebody else and cause harm. And, you know, that's why I always say to people that they, people should, if they can, if they can get some kind of affordable therapy, they, they should, because yeah. uh, I know not everyone can afford it. I know that, that, like I'm, I'm very lucky in that I that I have uh, support to get it because I, I can't really afford it myself. And, uh, and, yeah. But if you can, you should. Yeah. Like I think therapy yeah. should be available for everyone. Oh yeah, for can. sure. Like, I mean, it's ridiculous that you shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a privilege. You shouldn't. It shouldn't be a privilege of the rich to get to get therapy. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah my, I I tell people that my love language is telling, saying, go find a therapist if you can afford it. Um, I, I really do think that everyone, regardless of if you're going through a crisis or struggling with mental health or you just think you're fine, you will find benefit through therapy if you're able to access that. And I mean, that's the key if you're able to access that, because like you yeah. say, it's not necessarily a given. Yeah, I mean, we have we have some um therapy on the nhs here in the mm. UK, but it's limited it's only a number you only get a limited number of sessions oh um and it depends on your circumstances as well yeah uh, but at least it's something you know and i think it, i think if we get a change of government that, that might be expanded so more people will get access to it and it'd be more prioritized which is good some workplaces now here offer it, um, okay. work, which is good. So it's getting better here, you know, and obviously we have our NHS, which is, you know, godsend because we get all our healthcare free, but they want to yeah. make, I think they want to make, progressive parties want to make uh, mental health as important as physical health, which is good. Oh, that's, yeah, that, um, that's important. So, but so hopefully that, that will happen here. And that will, I mean, just the, if more people got therapy, I think like our, you know, our country would be in a better place. You know, yeah. if everyone was who needed therapy was getting therapy, um, yeah. yeah, I think it would in the world. You know, yeah, <laughs> the world would be better if everyone got therapy. Um, oh, I, I totally agree. Um, we need more therapists. We need more people to train yeah. as therapists. Yeah. You know, um, we need to pay them well because they should be paid well because they do an important job. But yeah. We need more of them. Like so, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember because um, the way that I grew up, therapy was always just a, um, it wasn't looked upon very positively. Like it, um, it, there was always like an air of suspicion where if you go to therapy, then they're going to turn you against your parents. So don't do it. Um, or they'll, they'll yeah, give you yeah. false yeah. memories or some like ridiculous things like that. Um, but I just remember when I finally gave myself permission to go see a therapist and I, w I was lucky that the first one I went to go see, she turned out to be a great fit for me. So, but I remember having this distinct moment sitting in a session, talking to her and thinking to myself, this is the first time I've ever felt like I've been ministered to 
Like I grew up in the church. I grew up in evangelicalism and I've never had that feeling until I found therapy. And then mm. suddenly it was just, I'm accepted here. I'm my, my experiences, my feelings, everything about me is welcome in this room. And I, I don't think I'd ever experience that in church. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's, I, I, um, what happened with me is I, I got, I, I found a spiritual director first, but my spiritual director was a qualified therapist. Oh. So when I was getting spiritual direction, I was also getting, it was like getting spiritual therapy because it was, oh, it was therapy and spiritual direction at the same time. Oh, that sounds under the, great. Under, under the guise of spiritual direction. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I actually found a proper therapist uh, around like three or four years ago. And, started doing um ifs therapy internal family system therapy which i yeah. recommend to everyone because it's, it's unbelievable great. yeah uh, and i've done talk therapy and i've done you know so all of those things like they just and i found embodiment embodiment coaching as well alongside internal family systems therapy was really oh that's great or like like naming my body as a person and giving him yeah. a gender and talking to him as a him and then doing IFS at the same time was like absolutely transformative. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, like I had a now I have a relationship with my body, and I communicate with my body, and he communicates with me. I mean, it's really healthy, really good for my physical health, my mental health, because I'm more aware of what's happening in my body. Yeah, and that includes trauma responses um, yeah. and physical health. So, um. I recommend that. I mean, obviously, that's what worked for me. It wouldn't work for for everyone. Right. And that's the whole point is that you find something that really works for you, and then you lean yeah. into that. Yeah. Other people find other things work work for them that don't work for me, and that's that's totally fine. We're all one of the things that people have to remember is that we're all on our own journeys, and there are journeys, and we have to, and we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. We should just have our own journeys, um, yeah. and give ourselves permission to have those. Um, it's not about conformity. Right. <laughs> we're, not, we're not all the same. Well, it's like deconstruction, right? Like some people, they deconstruct and they deconstruct out of faith, whereas other people deconstruct and they find a way to reconstruct their faith again into something healthier. So even yeah. like that, there's no one, one, one size fits all solution there. Every, you have to figure out what works for you, your life, your mental health, your body, all of it. Absolutely, one hundred percent, and yeah, that's why I'm always happy to hear other people's stories, even if they're different to mine. Because it, yeah, it, the, the the point is, are you are you in a healthier place emotionally and physically? Like, have you processed your trauma? Have you processed your grief? Have you done that work? Are you doing that work still? Have you like unlearned a lot of things like white supremacy and and all that kind of thing? Um, have you if you've done all of that, then you then you're Whatever your journey looks like, wherever you are, you'll be you'll be healthy, and you can yeah. you can tell a healthy person by by their behavior, yeah, as well, right? Yeah, for sure. You wouldn't shouldn't need to tell anyone that you're in a healthy place because it should just come across. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> and if you're in a healthy place, you can usually tell people who aren't as well. So. Yes, <laughs> it's it's really interesting, actually. Um, like I grew up watching House. I, I used to watch that show all the time. It's oh, a big hit in my home. 
And then I stopped watching it. I went to therapy for a few years and then I decided to watch it again. And suddenly like, I'm, I'm just kind of looking at all of the characters and going, this is an incredibly dysfunctional group of people, bunch of narcissists, bunch of codependent people, bunch of traumatized people who have not processed their trauma. And I, I did not see that in my first watch, which was interesting. But now that I have a different frame of reference, I can go, oh, that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, I have that. I have that with the shows that I've watched as well. Yeah. I, I've been rewatching Friends a lot recently. Oh yeah, you know, Matthew yeah. Perry and yeah, um, yeah and having and obviously getting to know Matthew Perry a bit through his work, through his book and his you know his advocacy and everything. It's so interesting how Chandler is almost, and he says this in his book as well that. It, well, Chandler is basically him. They yeah. wrote Chandler in it, but actually, when he read when he read the part, it's like this is me. This is literally me. Um, and obviously, that makes it harder to watch Chandler because when you see all his insecurities and things, you think, oh, you know, yeah. Um, but you're right, and now I see those. Now I can see those characters through a different lens, like how dysfunctional they are, how many insecurities they've got, where yeah. those where those insecurities are, you know, yeah, um, and. And see, and like that's why it's so satisfying when you see a good character arc on a TV show. Like we've just finished watching Loki, which I said on my Instagram is one of the best character arcs I've ever seen anywhere. Oh, I need to watch the new season. Like it's the whole when you watch Loki from the first time you see him in the first Thor, and you watch the timeline, you watch watch the first Thor movie, watch Avengers. And then from Avengers go into the Loki show, because that's the timeline of this Loki. Man, it's like, yeah. this guy deals with his grief, he deals with his trauma, he deals with his anger, he deals with everything, all his emotional stuff. And he and the transformation is incredible. It is, mm, yeah. He is a different character, by the, by, even by the end of the first season. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I, I've never seen it so, that, that so dramatically played out on a TV show before, but that is what can happen. Yeah, and it's such a dramatic like showing of like that a lot a lot of anger and rage and hatred and ego and stuff is not character. It's just you've got all this stuff buried inside of you that you never dealt with. But as soon as Loki starts dealing with it, he changes completely and he heals, and he becomes yeah. a hero. Like, and he starts making friends and. He starts, you know, loving people, and people start loving him. You know, and it's a and season two is incredible. I like, you know, you'll need a box of tissues. Oh, okay. Well, I'll but, consider myself warned. But um, I would highly recommend it to everybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's that that show is is essentially the deconstruction of Loki. That is. Oh, what, I love it. What those two sh- what two series are about, yeah. like, um, and the and the kind of awakening as well, and the rebirth and like transformation of, of Loki and it's 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 quite emotional because when you think again Loki's a character that we've all been watching for you know 13 years yeah you know, or whatever it was whenever Thor came out and that's a long time and we kind of liked him we we kind of love to hate him to start with and now we kind of but now you kind of genuinely love him and empathize with him and you want the best for him because he's just done the work on himself and yeah. um yeah, to see the end, it's it's yeah. I'm not going to say what what it is for for your sake. Okay, well, most people that listen will probably have watched it, and I'll probably have done a, a a podcast episode on it at some point as well. But it's 
it's yeah, it's just incredible. So um, I like we need more of those stories in 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 the movies and in and on TV because because that's what that shows you what a healthy processing of grief and trauma can look yeah. like. And yeah. like Wonder Vision was, oh my gosh, was, was the unhealthy yes. processing of grief and trauma. Yeah. Like, um, and what that can do and the harm that can do. So it's that, that's why I always love like exploring superheroes and grief. And there's a book on superhero grief written by a um, psychologist. Um, oh, interesting. Which kind of explores all the lot of the MCU and and Batman and Superman from a psychological perspective. Like and oh. so, and I had her on my podcast, the author. So um, um, that sounds but, fascinating because they all have these really tragic backstories, right? Yeah, most of them have lost someone. Most of them they lose a parent or um, or an uncle or a friend or somebody. Yeah. Or they're taken away from their home or they're adopted or like something. There's some kind of trauma at the beginning yeah. which drives them into becoming who they are. Right. Um, yeah. I'll have to look for that one. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. That, I think that book's on Amazon if anyone wants to buy it. it's. I've got a copy of it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And it's the kind of thing you can dip in and out of um, because each of them is kind of a study in itself. Okay. And, um, like, um, and by proper like experts, qualified experts, you know, who understand this stuff. So um, it's fascinating. Yeah. Sounds like it. More people need to read that book because I think it's, yeah, that, that's one of the reasons I love superheroes, honestly, is, is because yeah. of all the psychological stuff and the, yeah. And you, and that, I think that's why a lot of geeks and nerds are kind of, people who are on the spectrum or have been through trauma because you relate to these characters and they're kind of a, they become your friends because they're, they're like, well, they, they know what I, they know what I feel like. Yeah. And then you can, you can watch them go through their healing journey and go, okay, so this, this superhero, he's been where I've been and he's okay. And he's, he's even starting to thrive. Maybe that can be true for me too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um yeah, I think um yeah, they have, those movies have such have such power, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the Superman movie um as well because that's a different kind of arc. Um yeah. it's like a, a character who is who has all these powers but is not violent and is not destructive and is not um aggressive but is hopeful and optimistic and believes in people and saves people um and tries to resolve conflict without violence and like in the world that we live in and i think that's uh, that's more relevant than ever so yeah definitely um yeah i always love going off on a tangent talking about (laughs) superheroes it's great you know but it's all connected isn't it like yeah the work that you do on your show and you know people sharing their stories of healing and transformation and what we just talked about with loki for example is like they're it's all connected and um because yeah i mean shows like that are like people are essentially we get to see somebody else's story play out and yeah that can help us share our story yeah and Grief and trauma are universal themes, right? Like there, there's not a single person who has ever lived that has not experienced those two things. Um, it just, it really depends on like, okay, so what are you going to do with these things? Are you going to try and 
push them down to push these these big feelings down and ignore them and just kind of white knuckle through life or are you going to sit with this are you going to get help are you are you going to reach out for support and be vulnerable and transparent with your loved ones about what you need and what you're going through and maybe find a new way to live right mm, absolutely yeah yeah and there's hope in that isn't there there's, yeah. there's always hope i find that like these stories that i hear and i think the ones that you share there's always a sense of hope at the end of them because mm. we're not stuck yeah that's right when and you're... i think trauma can sometimes lie to us and make us feel like we are stuck whatever comes our way then we just that's what life is we can't do anything to change it but the truth is we actually do have choices we can we can choose something different for ourselves it might mean a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy but none of us are truly stuck mm, absolutely yeah yeah i love that and um yeah wow this has been great <laughs> i always love talking with you james we need to we need to do more episodes together i yes. think i think there's more we can we can talk about oh absolutely um, i think there's a lot of grief stuff we could probably talk about yeah um like and i love talking about that <laughs> um yeah it's always uh it's always um great to talk about things with yeah. people and yeah I, I i you know i'm um a big fan of of you and your work and um, everything that you're doing so uh thank you for coming on the show well, thank you for having me it's enjoyable um, yeah and where can people connect with you and 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 your podcast and things uh yeah so if you want to follow me, um, you can go to my website, which is SherryASmithOneWord.com, um, and you can find all my socials there. Uh, for the podcast, just go to Survivors Discuss, again, AllOneWord.com, and you'll find our socials, you'll find our, our episodes, you'll find some blog posts, um, and you'll be able to follow all three hosts through that. So, Fantastic. Fantastic. And do give all those things a follow. Um, I highly recommend it. So, yeah, thank you for um, for coming on the show again, and I'm sure we'll see you again. Hopefully, not three years this time. Yeah, let's not <laughs> wait so long. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and thanks for listening, everybody.